podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, welcome to the show on Tuesday the 29th of November. It is a dreary kind of day here in extremely rural Ireland. I hope your place is better than mine. Um, Today we're going to have a wee chat about the World Cup and what's going on. We're going to look at some terrible football takes because it's been a few months since we did that. And we'll have a look at Chelsea and their season so far and a little bit of gossip and that'll be us. So, World Cup, yesterday I had a little bit of a rant, obviously, about Belgium because they have really, really frustrated the life out of me. They've allowed the squad to age and they've just done a poor job at turning things over. 
Yesterday, I think we saw another example of that type of thing, of allowing a squad to age. But we'll get to that. Um, yesterday's games, Cameroon 3, Serbia 3. This One of the most brainless performances you'll ever see in your life from this Serbian team. They go one down, Castelletto scores, they come back, roar back, and go 3-1 up. Pavlovic, Milinkovic, Savage, and Mitrovic. And then they just keep pressing forward. They start defending the halfway line with slow centre-backs. And Cameroon break through once, and Abubakar scores. And then they continue to defend the halfway line. The goalkeeper's going bananas at this point. And Cameroon cut through them again, and Chupamoting equalises. And if you thought they learned a lesson from conceding two goals by being stupid, you were wrong. They carried on with this nonsense. Serbia should have put themselves in position yesterday where a draw with Switzerland would have sent them through on goal difference. Instead, they now need to beat Switzerland and keep everything crossed that Brazil beat Cameroon. Absolutely brainless football from a team that should know better. South Korea 2, Ghana 3, Salisu opens the scoring, Mohamed Kudus makes it 2-0, Cho gets one on 58 minutes, gets another on 61 minutes in a standing header to drag South Korea back to 2-2, but Kudus gets the winner on 68 minutes. It's a great win for Ghana and sets up a really interesting final game for them with Uruguay. Uh, Brazil beat Switzerland 1-0. Casemiro scores the only goal in 83 minutes. A fairly uninspiring game from both teams. And then Portugal 2, Uruguay 0. Bruno Fernandes with both goals, one in 54 minutes, one on 93. Another nothing, nothing performance from Cristiano. Tried to claim a goal that wasn't his. That was about the only thing he did in the game other than one chested pass, which was interesting, but, you know, that's about the height of it. At Uruguay were awful. Awful. They did create two decent chances. Suarez had one and Bentoncourt had one, but that was about it. When you look at this Uruguay team, you look at the defence, there's talent there, obviously. But again, as with the Portuguese, it's aged talent in the most part. Well, not, not the most part, but in important parts. Obviously, Caceres started the first game. He didn't play, didn't start yesterday. Uh, Sebastian Cuates, 32 years of age, being asked to play as a flanking defender in the back three, despite maybe being the slowest centre-back in European football, not ideal. Uh, Diego Godin, 36 years of age, still being asked to start every game, not ideal. They brought Ronald Arejo, and I don't really know why, because he's clearly not fit. He wasn't even on the bench yesterday. I can understand moving to a back three, but you've got Oliveira and you've got Vina. You could play one of them as the left-sided centre-back and the other as the wing-back. Playing Coates as that left-sided centre-back was absolutely madness. Just left themselves exposed. Roche, who's taken over from Maslera in goal, hasn't covered himself in glory, especially not yesterday. 
Uh, in midfield, I don't know why Vicino is starting games. I really don't. He is years past been useful at this level and is offering nothing, taking up a spot that could be given to somebody like Nicolas Dela Cruz, somebody like Manuel Ugarte, even somebody like Lucas Torreira. Um, I don't know why the Arasqueta is not starting games. He is their best creative player. For me, their midfield should pick itself. It should be a four with Valverde and Di Arasqueta as the flanking players who drop back to become wide players out of possession, but move high and narrow into a box-type midfield when they have the ball and allow the fullbacks to get forward beyond them. Benzincourt and Ugarte as the holding pair would be ideal. Would allow Benzincourt to be a bit more box-to-box as well, while Ugarte just sweeps up in front of that defence. And then up front, Suarez is past his best, well past his best. Cavani is so far past his best, I'm not even sure he remembers his best. We saw Maxi Gomez come off the bench. He's been in fairly miserable form for a while when he was at Valencia. Uh, at Trabzonspor, he has not started the season particularly well. We're seeing Facundo Palestri play. He's barely kicked a ball this season. Uh, in fact, he hasn't kicked a ball this season. He's been at Manchester United for three years and has never played for them. He spent a year and a half on loan at Alaves, played 35 games. So you're looking at a fella who's played 35 games in three years. And yet Facundo Torres, who's a more talented player, plays regularly for his club side. Admittedly, it is Orlando City in the MLS, but he's not getting a look in at all. Uruguay have done a better job than Belgium at turning the squad over and bringing through young players. But unfortunately, they're still just stuck on a couple of the older group who are holding them back at this point. Like Vicino. He's, he offers. He was never a particularly good player, but now he's a net negative. Cavani, net negative. They don't offer enough on the ball for what they take away off the ball, or in Vicino's case, vice versa. He's not he offers nothing in attack and he's not good enough defensively to make up for that. There's so much talent in this squad. Like that midfield that I gave you, the four man midfield, that could be exceptional. Darwin with Torres just off them could be a really interesting front too. Jimenez, Arejo would be the ideal partner for him if he was fit, but he's obviously not. But since he's not, just play Vina next to him. The guy's 5'11", he's well built, he's quick and he's strong. There's no doubt for me that he could play as a left-side centre-back in a back four with Oliveira as the the left-back. He's playing really well there, obviously, for uh, for Napoli at the moment. And then at right back, you've got your options. You've got uh, Varela. You've got Rodriguez. I mean, I just, I don't know why you wouldn't just play one of those two. Even play Caceres. No, I'd rather play somebody else, but 
just play Varela. Just play Varela right back and, and just have that be your team. They've got to win their last game now. They have no choice. They have to go and beat Ghana. And they have to hope that South Korea don't beat Portugal. Uruguay have been, for me, along with Serbia, the most disappointing team. And actually, even Serbia, at least in that game against Cameroon yesterday, for half an hour showed us everything they can do and showed me why I was so high on them. Uruguay have showed nothing. It's been quite cowardly how they've played. They haven't scored a goal yet. They don't look like scoring a goal. And they've got so much talent. Like Jimenez is a great centre-back. Oliveira and Vina are quality. Bentoncourt is quality. Dierasqueta is quality. Valverde's arguably the best midfielder in the world right now. Darwin Nunes is in great form for Liverpool. And none of them are playing close to their level because they're not being allowed to play close to their level. I, I like the manager. I do. I think Diego Alonso has done a good job since taking over. But I don't think he's done a good job at all in this World Cup. I think he's been very negative in his approach. And it wasn't what he was hired to do. He was hired to bring a bit more life to the team. Really disappointing. Um, We've got four games today. You've got your 3 p.m. kickoffs. That's UK time, obviously. Ecuador, Senegal, Netherlands, Qatar, and then your 7 p.m. UK kickoffs, uh, Iran versus USA and Wales versus England. Should be two decent enough games. I think the I think the US game is the more exciting of the two. The Wales England game could be anything. It could be it could be really entertaining or it could be absolute garbage. The USA-Iran game, it comes down to whether Iran come to play football or come to just try and spoil and get a draw and get themselves through that way. Um, Netherlands-Qatar. I, I actually think this is going to be quite a dull day. I think the best game is Ecuador-Senegal. I think Netherlands-Qatar is going to be really dull. I think Iran-USA could be fun if Iran are there to play football. Uh, Wales, England, like I say, could be anything. But that's today. Four games, two slots, 3 p.m., 7 p.m. It's a bit of a shame we're not going to get the four, the ability to watch the four games. You'll have to flick between two or put them on different screens or whatever. But this is the, the last round of the group games, so they have to play them at the same time so everybody knows, or sorry, so nobody knows what's... <laughs> Nobody knows what's going on in the other game. Of course they'll know, but the whole purpose is that they can't manipulate games based on what's happening. Um, yeah, that's where we are with today's games. It's it's one of the duller days, I think. Looking ahead, you've got Poland-Argentina tomorrow should be good because Argentina need to win poland could do with the win as well. Australia-Denmark should be good. I think Denmark really have to open up in that one. Uh, Croatia-Belgium on Thursday should be fun because Belgium absolutely need to win that game. Absolutely need to win that game or it's over for them. Uh, Japan-Spain 
I think that's a good game as well. Canada-Morocco should be quite interesting. And then Friday, you get South Korea-Portugal, which could be okay. Ghana-Uruguay has to be a good game for Uruguay, or they go out in massive disappointment. Uh, Serbia-Switzerland, I'd imagine, would be like watching two punch-drunk heavyweight boxers swinging at each other. But again, Serbia need to win to get themselves through. Cameroon-Brazil, I'm not expecting a whole lot from. Let's do some terrible football takes. Let's take our minds off the World Cup and laugh at nonsense that other people have come out with over the last few months. I I don't remember the last time I did this, but I'm going to just start in August and work my way forward. That gives us about six months worth. I might not get through them all, but we'll see. Uh, Let's see. Okay, at Vinny underscore Ball, in terms of big games, Vinicius is better than Lionel Messi. That would be the same Lionel Messi with four European Cup winners medals. Two of, or sorry, yeah, four European Cup winners medals. Uh, two of which he was man of the match in the final for. Vinicius scored in the final this year, but was dreadful. Spent the entire game in Trent's pocket bar three seconds it took to score a goal so it's a tweet from the spoofer with the catchphrase about Carney Chukwemeka signing for Chelsea and clinical Kai a noted twat has responded better than Saka Kai Osaka one of the very best players in the Premier League. Carney Chukwemeka is super talented, but has about seven Premier League games to his name and probably about 200 minutes max. Phil Foden said, Rodrigo is a Xavi and Iniesta mixture. Iniesta's dribbling and Xavi's passing. Does he mean Rodri, the holding midfielder? Because <laughs> if he does, I think he's definitely been sniffing glue, which wouldn't be a surprise when you look at his haircut. Um, Arusio 4, who promotes himself on social media as a tactico, uh, which he might as well just put, I'm a twat, in, my, in his bio. Um, why converting Kevin De Bruyne into a ball-playing centre-back might be the solution to Manchester City's problems. A thread. I would imagine that is one of the worst things you'll ever read. Jamie Redknapp said, Thiago Silva hasn't won the Champions League, which stops him being in the top, top bracket. He did win the Champions League. Jamie Redknapp isn't very bright, though, so, you know, there's that. Ah, yeah. United Trey, noted fool. Don't sleep, wake up. How can you wake up if you you haven't slept? Uh, The Kings of England are back. Ten Hag's tricky reds. Sancho ready to cook. The goat back in proving the doubters wrong. Our butcher ready to destroy attackers. Let's go. This kid. I need to speak to people that worked in the school that he went to because I, they all need a happy slap. Be, my God, good God. 
How do you let somebody like him out into society? I see three Evie. Not going to lie, I'd rather lose like this than win like Chelsea yesterday. I, I, I don't even understand what that means. Um, some clown who had Tuchel out as his tag name, not his, his handle, but you know the name of display name, has responded to a Chelsea post about Willian's birthday by saying he's the best Brazilian of the last 10 years. Jesus Christ. Uh, interim burner. I look at what Cruz brings you to this. Oh, my good God. I look at what Cruz brings to this Madrid midfield, and I can tell you, under the right coach, McTominay can do it. Oh, my head hurts. What is wrong with these children? United Optimist, this this fella's a, a clown as well. Dion Martinez, Malasia, Eriksson, signing to the Ford, and Manchester United will be competing for the title next season. Ten Hag's dominance is upon us. Jesus wept. Ellis version three. Are they, oh, it's Ellis version three and Tra- United Trey. Two very, very special lads. Uh, seeing rivals rattled about us being happy that our team won again in preseason fills me with so much joy. We might be back, says Ellis. They are scared, says Trey. Ellis responds, they're so lucky we're in the Europa League this season, bro. What are you talking about? You're garbage. Absolute garbage. Dave Maddock. Journalist for the Daily Mirror. I mean, intensely stupid from Nunes. Deserved red card. No excuse. Can't lose control like that. Yet still didn't feel like he actually meant to headbutt Bud Anderson. Wheeled around so quickly and didn't realize the defender was in his face. Went to the head. Put head in, but not headbutt. Listen, he's right, but he's uh, it's just nonsense. Who cares? Um... Casemiro doesn't even start for Arsenal, says some idiot. Maturing is re- is realising that Thiago Silva is the best defender in the world. Thiago Silva, in his prime, was the best defender in the world for about six months. And by his prime, I mean ten years ago. Before he went to PSG. What year was it? Was it 11, 12? 11 years ago? It was the year Milan won the title. Yeah, 11-12. That was, that was the very best season of his career. And you could have made an argument he was the best defender in the world for about six months. But he hasn't been anywhere close since. And he certainly isn't anywhere close now. Like He's not in the top 20 centre-backs now. CFC Dubois, tears in my eyes, we've the best centre-back in world football. Christ. Everything Cristiano. Full-time, Manchester United 2, Liverpool 1. Cristiano Ronaldo hands Eric Ten Hag his first Premier League win. What? Did he even play in that game? 
He came off the bench. <laughs> he came off the bench on 86 minutes for Marcus Rashford. Oh, Lord. Uh, Prime Fonso. Okay, so now when our beautiful era is over, can we all agree that Liverpool 2017-2022 is the best team in the history of football? This type of stuff really winds me up because you're just making the entire fan base look like they're as stupid as you. Um, Anfield edition, always good for a bit of embarrassment. United and Chelsea competing for the most embarrassing start to the season so far. Have you watched Liverpool play? Mike LUHG2, because the first one was such a threat. Havertz is miles clear of Kane. Miles clear. People losing faith in him already is hilarious. Stepped up in a final for Chelsea in both his seasons there. Been one of their best signings in years. I'd swap him for most of our teams. This idiot signs off every tweet by Hope This Helps. His sole belief is that because Kai Havertz scored a goal in a European Cup final that he's better than Harry Kane. Every other game they've played, but damn, that's his entire belief. Uh, Hannah Baba LFC, another clown by the looks of it. Uh, common knowledge now, Harvey Elliott better than Kevin De Bruyne. Get out of here with that crap. Uh, at Mary Glazer out, responding to a tweet from Marcotti about Cristiano going to Napoli and Osimian going to. Manchester United, which was never going to happen, by the way. Um, he was just throwing it out. These were the, the rumours that was going around. Uh, another Martial, no thanks. To which Paul, random numbers, says, well said, Mary, absolutely sick to death of our fans wanting to sign players based on drip and slang. We need better and more reliable players. And Victor Simeon is one of the two or three best centre forwards in the world. You imbecile. Palmer season. Sad to say this, but Haaland offers nothing but goals. We've, we're literally 10 minutes there. That's not a bad take at all. That's a very accurate take and a very aware take from a Man City fan. Mo Arsenal 86. This Mikel Arteta era is giving me invincible vibes. There's just a special aura at the club. We're about to enter a golden era and I think we go invincible again at some point in the next three seasons. Cop yourself on, lad. Cop yourself on. Put Bruno Fernandes in that Man City team and you'll see him produce double of what KDB has done at Man City. But I don't think KDB will be able to replicate the same if he was ever part of this Man United side of the last two seasons. From the Showtime Reds. Look, there's nobody who's a bigger fan of Bruno, the football player, not not the crying and the theatrics, but what he can do with, with the ball than me. But Kevin De Bruyne is a much better player than him. Much, much better player. LFCH, if we are being completely honest, what has 
Haaland got that Nunes doesn't. Nunes is clear, in my opinion. No. Bernardo, 20. Wingers like Leao, Vinicius and Saka are worse than... What do you mean, how are they similar? They have zero ball retention, can't pass, have a shit first touch. Basically, they're not controllers. I'm assuming this idiot's another one of those tactical muppets. Um... United Ellis, again, just, you know, being himself. Somebody responded to him and said, could be worse, could have compared Rashford to Sancho. And he responds with, that's a good comparison, Rashford's better. Lord God. La Liga is garbage out for outside the top four teams. This team would win the Prem by December. Unai Simon. Juan Foyt. Pau Torres, Inigo Martinez, Gilan, Darder, Moreno, Parejo, Fakir, Aspas, and Moreno. That team wouldn't finish in the top half in the Premier League, you clown. Annie United, we've got our version of Pep by Silva by KDB. It's Ten Hag, Eriksson, and Bruno Fernandes. I don't think these people watch football. <laughs> that one activist. I hate to be this guy, but I know people that are genuinely better than Anthony. They don't kick ball as pros. Uh, well, Beast, protect Thomas Partey at all costs. Um, I best not say anything. I, I, I best not say anything. Bayern Munich have completed the signing of two of Chelsea's young products, Jamal Musiala and Bright Aquo Arema B for the Youth Academy. This is not a good sign. I don't know the second player. Obviously, everybody knows Musiala. Uh, CFC Pies, or Pies responds, irrelevant players who won't ever play for Chelsea. About time we started shifting them out. This kid, he's one of those that just robs other people's work and presents it as his own. Like, tweets out other people's news, puts their name in it, doesn't link anything. And then you get all these simpletons coming back and saying, great work, bro. And he's like, he actually takes this as, you know, a sign that he's doing something good. Um, Learn how to retweet, you imbeciles. United cynical, excited to see Varane and Martinez against Haaland. Annie United, probably the perfect pairing I can think of to handle Haaland. And Haaland went on and scored six goals. Uh, United Trey, hey pal, tags Erling Haaland. Pictures of Martinez and Varane. Juventus are quietly building a team that could win the Champions League, says Sports Bible. Uh, well, Chesney in goal, you're not winning a Champions League. Uh, Quadrado, garbage. Bonucci, passed his best. Delict doesn't play for him anymore. Uh, Cambiasso, no. Locatelli, quality player. McKinney, quality player. Or McKinney, it should be. Um, and Pogba, you're not winning a Champions League with Pogba, unfortunately. Uh, Di Maria, years passed his best. Vlahovic and Chiesa I like and Locatelli would start but that's three starters for a team that could win uh, a Champions League 
Lawrence Burry. There's never been a player as good as Jude Bellingham is for his age in football history. He's not even the best player in his own age group. Musiala, Verts, Gavi, they're all better players than Jude. I like. I think Jude's going to be amazing. But he's not even the best player in his own age group. And that's before we count in, you know, 18-year-old Wayne Rooney, 18-year-old Michael Owen, 18-year-old Ronaldo, the original, 18-year-old Messi. Jesus, what? Bruno Fernandes will have a Ballon d'Or-esque season with Christian Eriksen pushing him, says Magnifo778. I think he should get himself off to bed. Uh, most overrated 11, it's it's our pal Clinical Kai. Allison, best keeper in the world, but apparently overrated. Uh, Trent Van Dyke, Saliba, Canseo. There's two of them are overrated. Uh, midfield, Odegaard, Rice and Silva. Well, Declan Rice is hugely overrated. Silva's not. Don't think Odegaard is either. Uh, front three, Saka, Jesus, Foden. Sack is not overrated, neither is Foden. Jesus is a little bit, but this is just the, the typical nonsense you get from fellas like him. Uh, call me deluded, but our Brazilian is clear. This says Anthony's better than Ronaldinho. That might be enough Twitter for today. Oh, God. Curtis Jones is just as good as Jude Bellingham. If Jones played in the Dortmund team Bellingham is in, he would be doing just as well. He might do very well in Germany, but he's not as good as Jude Bellingham. Let's, let's just calm down. Uh, I'm convinced this can't work. Jamie Carragher's convinced Lissandra Martinez can't play. He said as many bad games as good games. In fact, he's had more bad games than actual good games. He gets a lot of credit for six out of ten performances by people desperate to make out that it can work. Um, there's another tweet about from the same thing about uh, Graeme Souness said it on TalkSport. They're not wrong. This is nonsense, though. Centre devils. Not a single bad game this season. I'm sorry, but no centre-back comes close to the Sandra Martinez this season. He's had loads of bad games. Like, absolute stinkers. My unbiased Chelsea versus Arsenal combined 11. Who's this from? AFC GA Beast. This is somebody pretending to be an Arsenal fan. Because no Arsenal fan would suggest that a combined 11 would have 10 Chelsea players. And this is ridiculous because it has... Mendy is is the better goalkeeper. James is the better right-back. Cucurella is the better left-back. Koulibaly is the better left-side centre-back. Thiago Silva is not better than Saliba at this point. You'd have to excuse Molly. She's having a tantrum because the postman's here. Uh, Loftus-Cheek and Zakaria in midfield with Thomas Partey. It's an abomination. Uh, and a Mount Aubameyang Sterling front three. And 
Melamotive, genuinely, yes. Saka is obviously great, but I can see Skip. Skip being slightly better. Doesn't even play the same position. How's he going to be better? And that's it. That, God, that was painful. What is wrong with these people? Uh, I'll be back in a sec. I need a break. Right, welcome back. So, uh, huge news came out of uh, Turin yesterday. The entire board of Juventus have announced the resignations. I I need to dig into this more and figure out what's going on. But one of the reasons they've resigned is because the club made a loss of two hundred and twenty million pounds uh, last season, which is truly incredible. Um, last November, Juventus said they were cooperating with police after an investigation was launched into club transfers. The investigation concerned resignation, uh, revenues from players' registration rights between 2019 and 2021. Andrea Agnelli and Pavel Nedved are, are among those involved in the investigation. Um, I, I want to actually dig into this properly and see what's going on, but there are three deals that strike me as definitely a little bit funky on behalf of Juventus. So obviously the Artur Miralem Pjanic deal is one that everybody points to. Like absolutely fraudulent attempts to fiddle the balance sheet, basically. So... Pjanic was at Juve and they claimed that Barcelona paid 60 million plus five in add-ons while at the same time claiming, well, at the same time Barcelona claimed that Juve paid 72 million plus 10 million in add-ons. Now, clearly neither of those players are worth anything close to those figures at that time. This was both of them attempting to work their way around FFP. But they're not the only deals. And there's a couple of smaller ones that I've spotted that are definitely a little bit shady. So here's one. A player called Marley Aki was at Marseille, young French forward. And he joined Juventus for $8 million, while at the same time an Italian forward called Franco Tonya joined Marseille for the same figure. Now, Marseille aren't exactly flush with cash all the time. So if they spend $8 million on a young player, you'd imagine that's a player they're bringing in for the long haul. Well, 12 months later, he moved to Odense in Denmark for no disclosed fee. So something a little bit shady took place in that deal. Then there was the Juventus-Manchester City swap deal. Now, 
the players involved in this one, I mean, Pablo Moreno of Juventus, he went to Manchester City for a fee believed to be about 12 million. And he now plays for Portuguese club Maritimo. They're not one of the clubs owned by the City Football Group, to my knowledge. And if they were, I would assume he would have just gone there on loan. The player who allegedly went the other direction to Juve was Felix Correa. And Felix Correa now finds himself having played one game for Juventus in the two years he's been there. And he is currently playing for the Juventus reserves after a failed loan at Parma. I think the fees in this one were like 12, 13, 14 million, something like that. But either way, they weren't real transfers. Like they, they were real transfers. The fees weren't real. They were very clearly coordinated attempts by multiple clubs to work the way around FFP. And I'm sure if you did some real digging into all the UVA deals over the last four or five years, you'd probably find a bunch of them. And if I was Mr. Paratici at Spurs, I'd probably be a little bit concerned that I was going to get called into this or dragged into this maybe. Because uh, clearly some of this took place under your watch as well when you were in charge of recruitment. So I'll have a bit more of a look into this and maybe have a chat about it tomorrow. Um, The spoofer with the catchphrase has a bit of exciting news for Brighton fans. Um, David Datro Fafana, a young Ivorian striker, plays for Molda, 19 years of age. Uh, Brighton are in talks to sign him. Brighton, as we know, desperately in need of a striker. Don't know anything about this kid other than he was linked to Liverpool a couple of weeks ago. Um, But he has had a very good season for Molda. So we'll wait and see if anything comes of that. Brighton, if if Brighton are really in for him, we can pretty much be certain that he's going to be a good player. Michael Beale, only... A couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, turned down a move to Wolves and preached loyalty, integrity, wanting to stay at QPR and get the job done, get them up into the Premier League. And yesterday he was announced as the new manager of Glasgow Rangers. Loyalty and integrity out the window. I would imagine he's going to earn less at Rangers than he would have at Wolves. Rangers is arguably a bigger club than Wolves. It's not arguably, it is a bigger club than Wolves, but it's the Premier League against the Scottish Premiership. I don't really understand this from Beale. I know things at QPR have taken a bit of a shift for the worst. Since he turned that move down, they were top of the league when he turned. Excuse me, when he turned down 
the chance to go to um to Wolves. They've lost four of five. They haven't won in those five, and they have dropped from first to seventh. So maybe that's what's influenced them, but it's disappointing. I'm also curious as to when he became Mick Beale. I, maybe he's always been Mick Beale to his friends, but I did just notice when QPR announced his departure, they just called him Mick Beale. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who QPR get in to replace him. I'd imagine there'll be some good candidates for that one. It's a decent job. London-based, good club, bit of money to spend, good squad. I think that's a, an appealing job. But uh, disappointing with Michael Beale there because, you know, he came out, gave it the big one about, you know, his commitment to the club and all that. And now he just turns around and, and walks out. 22 games in charge, nine wins, five draws and eight defeats. Uh, let's have a quick look at Chelsea then. So obviously their season has been less than ideal. They're currently eighth in the Premier League. They spent... All of the money in the summer, Raheem Sterling, Kaladu Koulibaly, Omari Hutchinson, Gabrielle Slonina, Carney Chukwemeka, Mark Cucurella, Cesare Casedai, Wesley Fafana and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang all arriving on permanent deals with Dennis Sicaria coming in on loan. Out the door went Rudiger, Christensen, George McEachran, who still hasn't caught on with a club, which is really surprising because he is a talented player. Now, he's a talented lower league player, but he's a talented player. He's the brother of Josh McEachran, who plays for MK Dons. I wonder if he might end up playing with his brother. Uh, Tierno Ballo, Carlo Zeiger, Jake Clark Salter, Danny Drinkwater. He is also unattached. Uh, Charlie Masonda, who when he joined them, was meant to be the next big thing. Uh, George Nunn, Josh Tobin, Matt Miazga went back to Cincinnati. Timo Werner, they sold. Uh, Emerson, they sold. Edwin Anderson left on a free. Barkley left on a free. Alonso left on a free. Billy Gilmore went to Brighton, obviously. Uh, Xavier Buyamba, who, when they signed him, they said he was the next Van Dyke. Uh, he's gone to Volendam, who are dreadful. Uh, Kennedy and Michi Batshuayi. They spent $260 million, brought in about $60 million. Then, seven days after the transfer window closed, they sacked Thomas Tuchel. And clearly that had been in the works because they appointed Graham Potter the next day. So very clearly it had been in the works. They beat Everton 1-0 on the opening day. Then they drew 2-2 with Spurs, a game they should have won. They got hammered 3-0 by Leeds. They bounced back and beat Leicester 2-1 with 10 men for 60-odd minutes, which was an impressive showing by Chelsea. They lost away to Southampton, which was very disappointing. Then they beat West Ham 2-1 at home. And then the Queen passed away. And by the time they came back in the league, they had a new manager. Graham Potter has overseen victories over Crystal Palace, a very fortunate victory. Last-minute winner from Gallagher. 
but not just that. Thiago Silva should have been sent off very early in the game. Uh, they beat Wolves 3-0. They beat Aston Villa 2-0. Drew with Brentford. Drew at Manchester United. Hammered by Brighton. Lost to, to Arsenal. Lost to Newcastle. Um, They're out of the EFL Cup. They lost to Manchester City. In the Champions League, they lost their first game to Dinamo Zagreb. That's the game that eventually was, well, that was the final game for Thomas Tuchel. Uh, drew at Red Bull Salzburg, then beat Milan twice, beat Salzburg, beat Zagreb. They have not been at all impressive this season. The only really impressive performance was that 3-1 win over Wolves. Sorry, 3-0 win over Wolves. That's basically it. Everything else has been disappointing. Scraped by Everton, scraped by Leicester. Now, that was that was impressive because it was 10 men. We'll give them that one. Um, but West Ham were awful when they played them. And they needed late goals to come back and win that. Palace, like I say, they were poor. Villa, they should have been two or three down. No, they went one up. So it should have been they should have been two, two, one or three, one down by half time. Villa had great chances in that game. Um no win in the last five in the league. No win in six domestically. Like Potter will get time because they have to give him time. But it hasn't gone well thus far. They paid a huge amount of money to get him. They're paying him a huge amount of money. They've put all their faith in him. They have to back him now. There's a couple of issues with this Chelsea squad. Number one, it's been put together by too many managers. I mean, you've got Aspilicueta arrived in, what, 2012? And obviously he's a bit of an outlier. But you've got players bought by Conte, by Sarri, by Lampard, by Tuchel. Anytime you ask one manager to take on the mess made by four, you're asking him to do an awful lot. They have spent nearly $600 in the last three summers. Between the the Havertz-Werner summer, Lukaku last summer, and then all the spending this summer. And let's be honest, they're nowhere close to having a title-winning team. Kepa has had a bit of a resurgence. He's had some really good performances. Villa, Brentford being two of them. Single-handedly won them the Villa game and got them a point at Brentford. Mendy, after being lauded as the, the best goalkeeper in the world for reasons, he has been dreadful this season. Uh, Bettinelli is only a backup keeper and he's never going to be much more than that at a club like Chelsea. He could start for a smaller club, but not for a club like Chelsea. You look at the centre-backs, Koulibaly, Napoli clearly knew what they were doing. He's he's passed his best. Now, he doesn't suit a back three. He needs to play in a back two. And Chelsea needs to just commit to a back two. It's it's difficult with Fafana out because they don't really have another centre-back who's comfortable in a two. Chalaba's a little bit small. And he's more of a holding midfielder when it comes to a 4-4. He's more of a holding midfielder anyway. But he's a, he's a fine centre-back in a three. Silva can only play in a three and as a liability. Uh, Cucurella, the, the nonsense with him in a back three needs to stop. 
same with Aspilicueta. They've only got James as a right back in the squad who can be attack minded. Aspie can play there when needed, but he's not offering you anything going forward. In midfield, Jorginho's past his best and was never great to begin with. Kante's injury prone and past his best. Kovacic is tremendous, but he picks up too many injuries. Loftus-Cheek is too inconsistent. Mason Mount, they waste by playing him in the front three. Zakaria hasn't settled or been given real chances. Gallagher's good, but he lacks a certain technical level. Uh, Chukwemeka and Hall, talented, but kids. Aubameyang's pass is best. Everybody's aware of that. Pulisic is very talented, but he's injury prone. He's frustrating. Sterling is a tremendous player, but he needs the team to play a certain way. Uh, Brogia is very, very talented, but hasn't been given enough opportunities and, and hasn't shown himself to be clinical enough in front of goal to demand more opportunities. Zayic, it's never worked at Chelsea. And Kai Havertz, I think, is an outrageous talent. I just don't think Chelsea have figured out how to use him yet. For me, it's you use him as a false nine with three goal-scoring attackers behind him, such as Mason Mount as the 10, not as one of two behind him, but as a 10 directly behind him. And then pace and goals in the wide areas. So Sterling would be one. I They don't have the other one. It could be Pulisic if he could stay fit. In that case, I'd play Sterling off the right, not off the left. And Pulisic off the left. Then your double pivot would be Kovacic plus one. Loftus-Cheek looks about the best bet for that right now, but it's something they need to address. And then a back for Fafana will be back, I think, after the break, as will James and Chilwell. But for me, it's James, Fafana, Koulibaly and Kukurea. It's a very expensively put-together back four, even though they got uh, Reese James through their academy. But the other three were pricey. But that, to me, is the back three. Sorry, the back four. In January, I'd be looking to bring in someone to play next to Kovacic in midfield. And I'd be committing to 4-2-3-1. I think you can you can run with Kepa till the summer. You're not winning the league anyway. So I think you run with Kepa till the summer. See how he does. Worst case scenario, he does well enough that you can move him on. No, well, no. Worst case scenario is he's a complete meltdown and everybody remembers that he's been terrible since you signed him for 71.5 million, which remains by far the most expensive goalkeeper in history. And he still has three years left in his contract after this one. Um, no, I'm sorry. He has two years left in his contract after this one. Um, but I, I think you roll with him for the rest of the season. If he has a really bad run, then you put Mendy back in. Goalkeeper will will hold till summer. And Sl- the Slanina kid is meant to be really special. So maybe he can come in in the summer and just take the role as his own. Despite, I think he's 19. Um, you need to find a backup for Reese James. You've, you've sold all the good young right backs out of your academy other than him. So you need to find someone to bring in it. Don't spend forty million on Denzel Dumfries. Go and find a decent young right back somewhere in Europe for twelve to fifteen million. 
Chilwell is is fine backup as for Cucurelli. You can rotate them. You need depth in central defence. Do you know, I'd actually maybe give Chalaba a run next to Kovacic and just see how that pairing works. Um, in January, I think I'd look for that backup right back. So you've spent so much money, you don't want to go and spend more big chunks of money. So you need to try and do a couple of things around the fringes. So backup right back and maybe one backup centre back. Not kid, not not a kid at centre back, someone a bit more experienced. Even if you have to spend 15, 18 million, look for somebody potentially out of contract, out of contract in the summer. Milan Skriniar would be ideal because I think him and Koulibaly as a pair would actually work. But then what do you do with Fafana, who you spent? 70 million on. Um, who's in a contract this summer as a centre back? There's got to be one that you could bring in, could bring experience, could bring a calm head. Um, Stefan de Vries is too slow. Mukhtar Diakabi, maybe, from Valencia. He's not great, but he'd be solid. Tosin uh, at Darabio, <laughs> Tosin at Darabio from Fulham is out of contract in the summer. I wonder, could you get him? He'd be a good third centre-back to bring in because he can play both sides. If you get him, I think that's a decent signing. And you need a right back as well. Maybe you just look at a young right back who's happy to come in and learn behind Reese James and won't be too demanding. Um, you could look at centre backs out of contract in 2024 and try and get someone there a little bit cheaper. But it's finding the right one. It's finding one that's not going to cost a ridiculous amount of money. Um, as far as right-backs go, I mean, Max Ahrens might be up for a move. He'd be wasted as a backup, but he, he would fit. But that's what I'd look for in, the, in January. Look for a centre-back and a Good backup right back, a reliable backup right back, someone that doesn't have a bunch of fitness issues. And I'd be looking to move to 4 2 3 1 because I think it just suits the players. They've got a lot more. And, you know, as a backup to Kovacic, you've got a Conor Gallagher. They don't have the ideal partner, but I think they should wait till the summer because I think there's going to be more midfielders available. I don't think you'll get the midfielder you want in January. I think you'll get them in the summer. This season is going to be a bit of a write-off for them anyway. They're currently eighth. I I had expected that they'll get top four, but they don't look anything like a top four team right now. 
So they may have to settle for a year of Europa League football, which isn't ideal, but it won't be the end of the world. What they need to do is they need to stop Todd Bowley from continuing to just throw money around recklessly. Target what you need. Find the exact player. You've just spent a fortune bringing in the world's most overstaffed recruitment department um, where you've hired eight different people that have done the same job at the clubs they've been at. So, you know, figure something out. <laughs> figure it out quickly. Uh, let's wrap with the gossip. Chelsea are close to complete completing the signing of Christopher Nkunku from RB Leipzig. If he's a January signing, I mean, you could play Sterling right, him left, Mount behind Havertz, but I I don't think they're going to do that. I think Potter wants to stick with a back three because he likes a back three, likes the security of it. If he gets Fafana back, Fafana, Koulibaly, they need a left-sided one and play Cucurella as a wing-back. My fear is he'll continue to play Cucurella as a left-side centre-back, which just doesn't suit him at all. He can do a job for you, but you're not getting anything like the best out of him. But it does get Ben Chilwell in the team, and he's a good player. James Kovacic, you still need a central midfielder. The problem is, where do you play Mason Mount? Because Sterling's going to play, and Kunku's going to play. He's not coming not to play. So unless Nkunku is playing as a false nine, which isn't really what Potter does, he tends to play with more of an out-and-out nine, which is why he brought uh, has played Aubameyang quite a bit. I, I just don't know. Like, I think he could make it work with Kai because he's big and he's strong and he's rangy and holds the ball up well. It brings others into the game, which is one of the things that Danny Welbeck did to a decent level, and Havertz does that to a superior level. But Nkunku's going to start. And if he's, if it's a front three, it's Nkunku, Sterling, plus one. And Mount doesn't really suit that other role. You can't play Mount in a double pivot with Kovacic. to be nobody left in midfield. I think this is why Mason Mount is looking at potentially leaving. I, I don't think it's just posturing. I think he's genuinely having a long look at things. And... I think he's considering his future. Paris Saint-Germain and Argentina forward Lionel Messi has not agreed a deal to join Inter Miami, despite reports suggesting he's close to doing so. Um, well, let's let's be realistic now. No deal. Like you, you're contradicting yourself. He has not agreed a deal, despite reports suggesting he is close to doing so. So the reports don't suggest he's agreed a deal. They suggest he's close to doing so. So you're just reaffirming what they've already said. Roma are considering making a move for Cagnosioncio in January. He's had a contract in the summer, so I can see him being off. Chelsea are unwilling to let Christian Pulisic leave on a loan deal this winter and prefer a permanent deal. Um, If I was Leeds, I'd probably kick the tyres on that. Uh, Brighton have opened talks for David Datro Fafana. That's what I mentioned there a few minutes ago. England manager Garrett Southgate is set to recall Jordan Henderson and Kyle Walker to the starting lineup. That means a back three, I reckon. I reckon that's a back three. Uber defensive against Wales. 
Bayern Munich believe they have finalised an agreement to sign um, RB Leipzig midfielder Conrad Lehmer. Sunderland are among a number of championship clubs chasing Aston Villa's Cameron Archer, a very, very talented player. Manchester United are opening to recalling on-loan players in January, including Ethan Laird at QPR, Hannibal Mejbury at Birmingham, and Ahmed Diallo from Sunderland. Why would you recall them? You're never going to play them. Laird might get some game time as a backup to Delo if you sell Juan Bissaka or loan him. Maybe it makes sense to bring him back. Mejbury's not getting game time. And Diallo, you've, you're already wasting the kid's career. So, you know, leave him alone. Manchester United have been quoted a price of $100 million if they want to sign Enzo Fernandez in January. Uh, he's not going to want to go there at the moment anyway. I also don't think he's the type they're going to sign. United have also expressed interest in Martin Zubimendi. See, he's a holding midfielder. He's a very different type of player to Enzo, so it doesn't really make sense. But he would be a good signing. He would be a good signing for United. But him and Casemiro doesn't seem like it's the right mix. And Wigan are expected to name Colo Toure as the new manager. I think they have I think they have done that. I think that is now confirmed that he is the new Yes, he is the new manager of Wigan. And that's it. That is the gossip. That is me for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. And I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.